Sweet strawberry icing. You're in goodwill, and just past that vintage denim jacket you spot, miniature donut earrings. You lean in. Ah, that's the scent of shopping success. Because at Goodwill, every item you buy funds local job training and more. So bring home those donut earrings and bring home so much good to your community. Goodwill, bring good home. Brought to you by Goodwill and the Ad Council. Oh, you think for yourself? We like that around here. This is American Viewpoints with Mike Ferguson. Equal opportunity. Now, that's easy to say, but in reality, the entire conversation about it is just more complicated than that. Is there any place in our culture for any sort of preference based on your skin color? With racial divides being spotlighted throughout this year, that is a question that affects businesses, it affects governments, and it affects education. We're going to talk about education a lot this weekend. I'm Mike Ferguson. Thank you for being a part of American Viewpoints. Joined now by Wen Fa. He is with the Pacific Legal Foundation, and specifically, we're looking at a lawsuit against Harvard University, but it's hardly unique, and it it points to a much bigger picture about who gets into prestigious universities and any universities, and maybe who doesn't. When thanks for the time today. This one is an not a new debate, but it's got a very different aspect because we're talking about specific racial uh, minorities in this case. Uh, that's, that's true. Um, so Harvard University discriminates on the basis of race. That's what the students are alleging in this lawsuit. Uh, they actually represent a, a group um, that includes uh, Asian students. And the facts in this case are very compelling. You have evidence submitted by the plaintiffs of uh, college guidebooks like the Princeton Review, um, uh, you know, tailored to high school students that want to get into these colleges. And they say things like uh, telling Asian students to not say that they want to be a doctor or not say that they want to major in the sciences, because that would appear too much like a typical Asian. And when you think about the notion, the fundamental principle of equality before the law, that is exactly what, what runs counter to that principle. The principle of equality before the law is an individualistic principle. It means that every individual should be treated based on her abilities and her interests and not based on her race. And that's what uh, the, the plaintiffs are fighting for in this lawsuit. Now, the Pacific Legal Foundation has filed a friend of the court brief with this, and uh, the lawsuit is from Students for Fair Admissions in the case against Harvard in particular. And when let me let me try to anticipate what uh, supporters of these policies would say. They would say, well, uh, when it comes to race-based admissions, we're looking for minority groups who have been oppressed or have not had the same opportunity, typically are marginalized. And maybe at this point, the Asian part of our population just isn't suffering from a lack of opportunity, and we need to set that aside for other groups. Uh, What's the response to that, not just argument, but overall concept? Uh, Well, I think that concept is very flawed. Uh, When we talk about equality before the law, we really need to be talking about treating people as individuals and not stereotyping them as members of a racial group. And that's precisely what the late, uh, actually, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg argued when she was arguing uh, those equality before the law uh, 
cases uh, on behalf of women in front of the Supreme Court of the United States. The stereotypes are often demeaning and they're often wrong. Um, there are members uh, of all races that are advantaged and there are members of um, all races that are disadvantaged. But anyway, that, that, that would be besides the point. The, the, the point, uh, what, what Americans should be focused on is increasing the opportunities for everyone and making sure that everyone has the ability to live up to her individual abilities and her individual interests and not to be stifled because of her race. I want to go back to something you just described, which was the advice given out by some of these universities, particularly to Asian students saying, don't indicate that you want to go into tech or be a doctor. Are, are they basically saying, don't fit a profile? If you say you want to go into something else, then you've got a better chance? Or is it something more focused on the, on the ethnicity itself? Uh, it, it's, it's focused on the ethnicity itself, and it's, it goes hand in glove with the stereotype, with the harmful stereotypes that I was just talking about earlier. Um, you know, these schools, in order to achieve diversity, they often look at students who they, they figure do not fit their own preconceived stereotype. So when you have Asians that want to say that they want to be a doctor or uh, major in science. I believe there was another guidebook that says, don't say that you played the piano if you're an Asian student. What they're worried about is that, you know, these, these universities will fit them into a stereotype that they've, that the universities themselves have preconceived. Um, and even if they had a perfect GPA or perfect SAT scores, they would still be rejected uh, from the college of their dreams. We're visiting with Wen Fa, a, an attorney with the Pacific Legal Foundation. And uh, Wen, there's only so much room in any incoming class for any university. And so many universities, basically all of them say, we want a diverse incoming class. So doesn't that mean they have to make some kind of preferences part of the admissions policy? Or is there another way to have a fair admissions process that, that makes sure it's not just all one or two groups? universities cannot impose racial quotas in their class. Racial quotas are wrong. They're unconstitutional. Uh, a land of equal opportunity, a land of opportunity means that individuals should be treated um, equally regardless of race based on their abilities and talents and desires. Um, racial quotas necessarily limit the opportunities that people have uh, because of their race. We, we want an America in which opportunity increases. I think you are right that seats sometimes are limited, but opportunities I think are unlimited. And we wanna live in a prosperous nation uh, in which opportunities are unlimited. And the best way to do that is to treat people based on their abilities, on their talents, on their desires, and not based on their race. What are the potential bigger picture impacts of universities saying, no, your group is doing just fine. We need to not allow you in so we can allow somebody else the opportunity here. Talk about the potential impact on the rest of the of our culture and our, our country, uh, at least down the road, if these are the policies that are the norm in academia. 
Well, I think the impacts are enormous. Uh, you have the, the stigmatic impacts on these applicants, actually applicants of all races who um, couldn't get into uh, the college of their choice because they were discriminated against on the basis of their, their race. I think what you would see in universities and, uh, and in other contexts would be um, more uh, lobbying uh, by different groups. And we've actually already seen those uh, efforts come into play where, where advocacy groups for racial groups would come in and lobby the legislature for an increase of the quota or, or a decrease of, a, a, of another group's uh, quota. And that's you know, one of the other reasons that quotas are so wrong and pernicious. And by the way, I would be remiss if I didn't say that this, this notion, this uh, wrongheaded notion adopted by Harvard isn't really even limited to the context of higher education. We see a lot of um, racial discrimination in other uh, areas as well. Uh, one area is public contracting. We rely on public contractors to build our schools, our, our public schools, our public roads, and other public, uh, public uh, works. But the government often uh, imposes programs that, are, that discriminate against uh, businesses sometimes small businesses that cannot be designated as minority business enterprises. So this is a pervasive problem and it's, it's something that we should really return to the fundamental notion of individualism and equality before the law. Okay, when if uh, somebody wants to read the brief that you all filed or more about what you're doing with Pacific Legal Foundation, how do we get in touch with you or Pacific Legal online, social media, anything like that? Sure. So, uh, People can visit Pacific Legal's website at pacificlegal.org. They can follow Pacific Legal on Twitter at, at Pacific Legal, and they can follow me at WenFa1. All right, Wen, appreciate the insight. This is such a touchy, uh, touchy topic with such big implications. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, because what happens on campus, as we were just discussing, like it or not, affects the rest of our culture, we're looking at another constitutional issue in about three minutes. Does the First Amendment apply even when someone might be offended? A new report says most colleges don't think so, and they are restricting the freedom of speech. The bigger question is, what does that mean for the rest of us off campus? We're discussing it just ahead on American Viewpoints. If you came across someone struggling with hunger, how would you recognize them? Would you notice an eight-year-old girl who's not, not excited, excited for, for summer them? break because she may not be having lunch again until September? Or a war veteran who's having, having a hard, hard time, time landing, landing a job and getting back on his feet? I am the one in eight Americans who struggle with hunger. I, I am hunger in America. America. Hunger can be hard to recognize. Learn why at IamHungerInAmerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council.